glad that you're here. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn it to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And as you turn there, um, I have Amazon Prime. Probably some of you have it as well. Uh, and, and I was watching, guys, this mic is about to across the room. Uh, so so uh, if I throw it, I still love Jesus. I'm going to throw it in Jesus' name, though. Uh, bear with me as I cut in and out. Can y'all, I'm just messing with those guys now. Can you hear me? Are we good? All right, sweet. All right, so Acts 17. All right, earlier this year, 417 miles that teams of four from all over the world, they had to trek 417 miles. And get this, some of them, it took them 10 days. Ten days hiking, biking, canoeing, swimming, and they're doing it as a team. Well, one of the main challenges is that you had to navigate from point to point. Uh, there, there weren't signs that said, hey, take a left here. All right, I'm, I'm getting ready to throw it. I'm getting ready to throw it. Use this mic now. Oh, oh the other one. I can't see because it's dark back there. The other one as in this way or that way? Left. My left or yours? Okay. Everybody, hey, we can laugh. It's okay. All right, here's the changeover. Did it. There we go. All right, cool. Here we go. I've got to get this cord. I'm on a leash now. All right, here we go. So one of the toughest parts about the, the challenge was navigating. Now, how many of you would just be honest and say that your navigation skills are terrible? Just raise your hand. Plug it in the GPS. Uh, right. So one of the challenges is that they had to have a map, and there was one lead person who would say, all right, we've got to go this way. And I wonder how many times they ask, hey, are we going the right way? Many of the teams, they were lost, and they didn't even know it. But I wanted to know, over the course of 10 days of going through this race, how many of them asked the question, are we going the right way? It's an interesting question. It's somewhat important in a race that's 417 miles, but I would say it's even more important for going through life. And some of you right now, you may be asking the question yourself. Maybe you haven't even told anybody, but you're saying, am I going the right way? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's school for you. Maybe you're, you're thinking about dating somebody or making a big decision, and you, and you ask that question, am I going the right way? Maybe this is your first semester, or maybe you've graduated and you're, you're starting out a career. Maybe you're asking that question. I, I think that's probably where a lot of us are here tonight. Some of us probably should be asking that question. I want to read a passage to you before we jump into uh, Acts chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 says this, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Let me, let me read that again. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This verse suggests that there may be some of us in the room right now thinking that we're headed in the right way, but in reality... We may be headed towards deadly destruction. There may be some of us in the room right now where maybe even everything looks like it's going uh, okay in your life, but you could actually be heading in the wrong direction. Tonight I want to present to you what I call a family conviction, something that we believe that we hold dearly as a faith family here at Sub 25. Whether you've grown up in church or this is your first time here, I want to challenge you tonight that you would grab hold of this conviction and that you would believe it from everything within you. And here is what the conviction is. The word is the way. The word is the way. Now, this sounds very Mandalorian-ish, if you've seen the show, if you know, you know. But I believe that the word 
is the way. Now, before we unpack this, we have to understand a few things. John chapter 1, verse 1, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14 says, and the Word became flesh. And we understand that the Word that John is referring to is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word. The Word is the way. But we also see in the Bible that the Bible and the authors of Scripture, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that they would refer to God's Word as Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter tells Christians, Desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Psalm 119, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, verse 105, David writes, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when I say the word is the way, I'm using one phrase to describe two realities. Reality number one, Jesus Christ is the word, according to John 1. And then we have the word, that is the God-breathed inspired book that I hold in my hands. The word is the way. Now, I want us to cling to that as we jump into Acts chapter 17. When we get into Acts chapter 17, we find a man named Paul. Now, Paul was a religious guy that did not have a relationship with God, but had an encounter with Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus was so powerful that he began to preach. He began to plant churches. He began to go on a mission. And he was traveling around and preaching. In Acts chapter 16, we find that Paul is thrown in prison for preaching the word. If you've grown up in church, this is the Paul and Silas moment where they're in prison and they're singing praises to God. And God rattles the prison cages and everything opens up. And they could have escaped, but they said to the jailer, hey, we're still here. We're still here. You can read about it, Acts chapter 16. Uh, God miraculously rescues Paul from prison, and at the very end of Acts 16, here's what we read, verse 40. So they, talking about Paul, Silas, they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. Lydia was a believer. She was a woman who, who had received Christ. They entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, when they had seen their faith family, When they had seen people who experienced Jesus, they believed in Jesus, they were followers of Christ. When they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them. It's interesting that Paul just left prison, and now he's encouraging other people. It it tells us a little bit about his faith. And then we read, it says, they departed. Paul was going to continue to go and to proclaim the, the message of the gospel. This is where we pick up in Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, which is currently known as Thessaloniki, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So Paul had a strategy to get the message of the gospel to people. He would start out in the synagogue. He would go to where people were. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He didn't wait for the perfect opportunity. He went to where the people were. Paul knew that the word changes lives, so he needed to get to people with the word. Now, if you're a Christian in the room, I hope that you understand that God has has designed you to bring glory to his name by serving him, loving him, and helping others to serve him and love him. See, Paul understood that the message of the gospel gets to people through people. 
the, the gospel message doesn't just show up to people. God has ordained people to go and take it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has called you to take the gospel message to people. Now, if you're a Christian, your purpose in life, I don't know if you've ever wondered about your purpose, your purpose in life is to bring glory to God by knowing him and helping others know him. It honestly simplifies a lot of things. Some of us, we probably walked into a new semester, a new season, and we were wondering, what is my purpose? I see all the chaos around me. What am I here for? Well, that's what you're here for. You're here to bring glory to God. You're here to bring glory to God and to help others do the same. Your purpose is not defined by your talents or your abilities. Your purpose is not defined by your job, by your GPA, by, your, by, by the people in your life, your friends, your relationship status. I hope you have dreams and goals in life, but your life exists for God, and God wants to use you to help others come to know him. That's what your purpose is. And again, it simplifies life in, in many, many ways, simply knowing that I am living and breathing right here to bring glory to God. And God can do that in so many different ways. See, Paul understood this, so he went to where the people were. Now, the synagogue was a place where uh, the, the Jews would gather regularly to worship instead of the Old Testament. Now, some in the synagogue, they were ethnic Jews. Some of these would have been Gentiles or Greeks that had converted to Judaism. Similar to modern-day uh, religious Jews, th this group did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They did not believe that he rose from the dead and that he is the Son of God. And so Paul's custom was to go to these places. He, 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 his custom was to go to where the people were, and oftentimes they were in the synagogue, and he would open the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, the Bible that you have or the Bible that's on your phone, the Old Testament. Paul would open that up and he would proclaim Jesus Christ. Verse 3 tells us what he would do. Acts 17, verse 3, explaining and demonstrating. This is what Paul would do. He would open the scriptures and he would explain them. He would help people understand what the Bible is saying. He would explain and demonstrate that the Christ, Jesus, had to suffer and rise again from the, from the grave. This suffering he's talking about is ultimately fulfilled on the cross. That, that Jesus was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't just show up in the New Testament. He's in the Old Testament. And Paul says, listen, the Old Testament talks about Jesus. He had to suffer, but he rose again from the dead. And Paul would say, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. So some were convinced of this message. They believed it. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So many of these people in the, in the synagogue either did not know who Jesus was, perhaps of, because of proximity, uh, what Jesus had done on the cross, may have not traveled, so they didn't know who he was, or if they had heard of him, they did not believe that he was the Son of God and that he rose again. That's where they were at. So, so they were religious, but they had no relationship with God because a relationship with God only comes through Jesus Christ. See, many of the people in this synagogue, they thought that Jesus was, hey, he's probably a good man. Maybe he was a good teacher. And if we're honest, this is where a lot of our society is. I was looking at some stats earlier, and I believe 90-something percent of people in America believe that Jesus existed. Uh, it, it's, if we study history, we see that Jesus existed. We can look at historians and see that the question is, did Jesus rise from the dead? 
Is Jesus who he claimed to be? And so Paul would go into a place, perhaps like this, and he would say, here's what the Bible says. Here's what it means. It's talking about Jesus. You need to trust in him. Paul really wasn't an eloquent speaker. He just proclaimed Jesus. He told people that Jesus was the, was the, was the only way to have life. And so Paul is, is doing this. He's, he's explaining to, to these, uh, these in the synagogue that Jesus is so much more than a man. He would explain that Jesus was the Christ. And he reasoned with them. He would ask them questions. He did this for three Sabbaths, for three weeks, 21 days. Over the course of a 21-day period, he would go and he would begin to ask questions. And he would give answers. And he would open the Bible and he would proclaim And Paul would teach that without Jesus, people are separated from God. What that means is that somebody could be sitting in the synagogue, reading the Old Testament, and yet they are separated from God. The same can be true tonight. That you could be sitting in here, listening to the Bible being taught, but you also could be separated from God, headed down a way, a path that leads to destruction, and you not even know it. And so Paul would help people understand that this Jesus is how we come into a right relationship with the creator God. And he would teach that Jesus was perfect, that he went to the cross, that he rose from the grave, and that he ascended into heaven. But that's not it. He's also coming back. We call it the second coming. He is coming back. And according to verse 4, many people received this message. They believed in this. They believed in it. They had an encounter with the word. Again, one phrase, two meanings. The word, the scriptures, and the word being Jesus Christ. And I want us to notice a few things about the word that we see in this passage. First off, the word is life-giving. The word is life-giving. Those who gathered in the synagogue, they were religious. Many of them would have understood the Old Testament scriptures. And yet they still would have been spiritually dead. You can grow up in church. You can attend Sunday services. You can come to a gathering like this and still be spiritually dead. You you, you can be separated from God and sit in a room like this. Those in in the synagogue believed in God's existence, but they had no relationship with God. So so they knew that God existed, and this is where many of Americans are. Many people all over the world, we we would say, okay, something exists, but but it's not just about believing in the existence of God. It's about believing in Jesus Christ and what he has done and understanding that I have sinned against this God, this holy, righteous, all-powerful God, all-loving, all-merciful, all-gracious. I've sinned against him. And the only way for me to be in a right relationship with this God is through Jesus Christ. It's not about me doing good works. I I could give all my money to to the poor. I could go on the street and, and gather as many people as I can and raise support to buy more food and to give food away. It's not about doing good works. I can't do enough good things to put myself in a right relationship with God. That's why I need Jesus. And this is what Paul would preach. And so after 21 days of reasoning and explaining on the Sabbath day, he was teaching people began to believe. They received the message. And we see that they went from being dead to being alive. 
They received the life-giving power that comes from the word. Life came when they encountered the word of God and the God of the word, that is Jesus Christ. Have you had an encounter like that? Have you gone from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive because you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about a bright light moment. I'm talking about a moment when you recognize that I'm broken and I'm full of sin. I'm selfish. I'm prideful. I've got all kinds of of sins that I've committed. The list would be too long to, to write it out. I've sinned against God. I've broken his law. I am separated from him. And because God is a good, holy, righteous, just God, he must punish my sin. And so at the end of my life, either I will receive the punishment for those sins or I trust in Jesus Christ. That's why he went to the cross. He took the punishment for me. I didn't deserve it, but he did that. Do you see that the word is life-giving? It offers life. I love what Psalm 119 verse 25 says. David writes, my soul clings to the dust. I don't know how your week has been, but some of us, Maybe it's been a bad week, and it literally felt like your soul was on the ground. You're weary and tired and anxious. David writes, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me, give me life according to your word. The word gives life. And we see that in Acts 17 as Paul opens the scriptures. He explains them. He reasons with the people. He points them to Christ. God's word revives dead souls. God's word gives life to the weary soul. We got to look in the word. We got to look to the word. John 17, 3 says this. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so I would say, do you know him? To know Jesus is to have eternal life. Eternal life is only possible through knowing Jesus. The word that is Jesus Christ produces life. Have you experienced this? Do you experience life with Christ daily? Because if we're honest, some of us, maybe we made a decision at some point in our life to trust in Jesus for salvation. But right now, your life is not characterized by life. John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And these waters go on and on and on. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't get saved and move from Jesus, but you grow closer to him. You keep your eyes fixed on him. You go in the way of the word. That is the way of Jesus Christ. The word is life-giving. Look at verse 5 in Acts 17. Let's continue the story. So Paul, he's in Thessalonica, a larger city. He would go to larger cities and he would preach there. And and the gospel would go forth. The word would go forth. Lives would be changed. And then smaller cities would hear about it. But look at what happened when when these people gave their life to Christ. Verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded. So there were some in the synagogue who received the message and believed it. And then there was some who rejected it said the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. So these are some some guys in the marketplace that, that, man, these are some rowdy dudes. These Jews, they went and found them. 
And it said that they gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Jason was a believer. He was a believer that received the message and who, who housed some of the believers. And they sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren, the, the, the faith family, they dragged some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. When, when the word is proclaimed and when people receive it, there are effects. And, and the effects in this passage is that the world was turned upside down. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, that is Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Understand this, because Paul preached the word and because people received the word and because people began to live out the word, opposition arose. Opposition arose. So not only is the word life-giving, but we have to understand that the word faces opposition. Again, when I'm saying word, I'm referring to the Bible and Jesus Christ. We can look at history and we can see that God's word, that is the scriptures, have always been opposed throughout history. Starting in Genesis chapter 3, we know that Satan, as he's talking to Eve, said, did God really say that? opposition to the word we can look all throughout the scriptures and we could see throughout history even after the time that we see that scripture was written God's word along with Jesus Christ and his followers have faced opposition for thousands of years and we'd like to think that today in a day and age where we're where we're willing to receive different thoughts we would think that the message that Paul preached would be received today but the reality is that the Bible, the word, is essentially illegal in 52 countries. And I say essentially illegal for a few reasons. In some countries, such as India, there are certain parts where it's dangerous to have a Bible. You won't, you won't find one. Now, there are definitely parts that you can go to. I, I've been to several parts of India. Some of you have been to India. Uh, in 2013, uh, my wife Angela and I, we, we got the opportunity to go to India and to see a ministry called Compassion International. Compassion uh, does a lot all over the world in the name of Jesus, helping those in poverty, helping orphans. They help educate, they help provide basic needs, and they point people to the gospel. And I remember while we were there seeing what Compassion was doing in India, hearing stories from, from, from some folks that we got to interact with, how certain Christian churches were being burned. They were being burned. And then I remember hearing how some of the people in the village who were not even Christians came out and said, you're not going to burn this church. Somebody that's not even a Christian. And the reason was is because they noticed the difference that was taking place in the lives of the kids who were going to the church and who were hearing the gospel proclaimed. Their world was getting turned upside down, but there was opposition. A few years later, in I believe 2015 or maybe 2017, uh, the government of India said compassion will no longer be here. And so thousands of, of, of kids who were in poverty and who were hurting no longer getting the help that they need because compassion was doing it in the name of Jesus. 
working through local churches in India. And India said, no, we will not have that. Many of you uh, have heard me talk about my friend who recently passed away, uh, a missionary to North Africa. Um, Specifically, he was in Morocco. And and in Morocco, uh, it is illegal or highly restrictive to have a Bible. So if you have a Bible in your lap, you better be very careful if somebody in Morocco sees that, sees you with it. You better be very careful if you open it up and you begin to talk about it to somebody publicly. Uh, my, my friend that was a missionary there, he had a, a special apartment, not where he lived, but away from where he lived, where he would store his supplies, Bibles, materials, uh, a place where they could gather in secret to talk about the message of this word, to talk about the word. And then there are countries like Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Iran, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan. The list goes on and on. And these countries don't even allow Bibles at all. Understand that the the word faces opposition. People literally have to smuggle Bibles into some of these countries. Perhaps some of you are, are, uh, know some people that do. There's churches in the Birmingham area that do strategic work to get Bibles to places where you can't get a Bible. And praise God we live in a country where we can freely talk about this book and its message. But this leads me to ask a question. It's interesting for us to think about. Why does the American culture as a whole seem to be open-minded about every idea under the sun with the exception being the message of this book? We live in a very open-minded country unless you bring up the message of this book. Why does the university culture seem to promote diversity of thought all while dismissing those who think in accordance to this book? Uh, a couple of years ago, I was on, a, on campus, and uh, I, I had every right to be there. And some of you know this. Some of you were out there with me, probably. Uh, I was with another campus organization, the Baptist Campus Ministry, and, and we have a branch of us, Sub-25 at UAB. It's RSO on campus, and I was asked to leave because I was having one-on-one conversations with students that were willing to engage me in a conversation. There was others of us out there, and somebody called the cops on us. And again, I'm not here to badmouth the AB. In fact, I, I, I would expect at a public university for a response to be like that. But what that means is that a sorority, a fraternity, a club can engage people on the green, tell them what that club is about, what the organization is about. But when it came that day to talking about Jesus Christ to people, they said, nope, can't do that. Do not be shocked that when the word dictates your way, that you come face to face with opposition. Uh, I'm I'm friends with the director at the BCM. Uh, He's been there for 20 plus years serving uh, UAB students. um, And he will tell you story after story of the opposition that they've faced. They've had to move. They've had to change their meeting time. You're not allowed to do that. Other organizations are allowed, but, but, but you're not. And again, I'm not here to badmouth the campus. I'm just here to say that the opposition will come when you make a decision to go the way of the word. When you say I'm following Jesus, when you say I'm going to let this word dictate my life, you will face opposition. Uh, flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. Because this is, this is a moment that Paul is having with these same people, but it's, but it's later on. I'm not sure if it's a few weeks, a few months, 
Paul had to rush away because of the opposition that they were facing. And so now he's writing a letter to the believers. That's what 1 Thessalonians is all about. And he says this in verse, th- verse 6. And you became followers of us. He's talking about the people that were in the synagogue. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, persecution, opposition. But don't miss this. With joy of the Holy Spirit. See, we're going to face opposition, but at the same time, I can promise you that through the Holy Spirit, which comes upon us when we trust in Jesus Christ, we then can have joy in the midst of the affliction, in the, in the midst of the opposition. Uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to continue to walk through this story with these Thessalonian believers and, and who, they, who they are and, and, and what God did through them and with them. But I want you to look at the last verse. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, or the last two verses, I should say, starting in verse 9, and we'll look at verses 9 and 10. Paul is talking about the believers here, the believers they received the word, and here's what he says about them. He says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you, don't miss this, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was a moment in these, belie- in these believers' lives, before they were a believer, as they're sitting in the synagogue, as Paul is preaching, that they were forced to make a decision. They're forced to make a decision. The word requires a decision. When the word goes forth, a decision has to be made. To not make a decision is to make a decision that is, no, I'm not going to receive that. But what we see is that this group of believers in Thessalonica, that they received and that they turned. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I just want to ask you to bow your head for a moment. We're going we're gonna to close out for the sake of time. I kind of skipped through some of these things that I wanted to say, but, but I want to I want to read a verse to you, and I want to ask you some questions. The band's going to come up. We'll close out. I started with the verse, Proverbs 14, 12, that says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. If you're a Christian in the room right now, I want to challenge you to make a commitment to continue in the way of the word, to continue in the way of Christ. This season, this semester, don't let busyness, don't let laziness, don't let temptations, don't let opposition, do not let it derail you in the way of the word, following God's word and following the God of the word, that is Jesus Christ. But some of you, you're a Christian, and if you are honest, there are some things in your life right now that you need to turn from. That, that you're not fully going in the way of Christ because of some things that you've let in. I want to ask that you would confess that. Not to me. I'm here if you want to talk to me. But confess it to God. Give it up. Don't, don't, don't let that into your life. Don't let it distract you in the way. But there may be some of you here tonight that if you're honest, you know you're headed in the wrong way. Or maybe you realize that tonight. You know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You understand that you've sinned against God. And if God is speaking to your heart right now and you recognize your need to follow Jesus, I want you to know that he is saying, come. Jesus is saying, come. 
He's welcoming you into the family. And he's saying, come, I don't care what you've done. I don't care the mistakes that you've made. I went to the cross for you. I paid the punishment for you. Will you come to me? You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus, he will clean you. Tonight, if that's you and you recognize your need for him, I want you to voice a prayer. You can say it silently in your heart, in your head. It's not about these words. What God is concerned about is your heart right now. And some of you, I believe that God may be speaking to you. And we see that God's word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I want to invite you to to voice a prayer of calling out to God. Just say this quietly in your heart. Father, I'm sorry for sinning against you. I believe in you. I believe that your son is Jesus Christ. I believe that he died, that he was buried and he rose again. I give my life to you. Would you save me? Would you change me? Would you turn my world upside down? Father, thank you for saving me.